Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. Welcome to another episode. Hope everybody's feeling good. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about living in the moment. So last episode, we talked about how we can live in the moment, how we can caretake this moment, thinking about already in our lives, where, when, with whom do we get so engaged, how and when is our attention most focused such that we're in the moment, we're in the zone, we're not thinking about tomorrow or yesterday, and we're not distracted, right? So today I want to talk a little bit about why we should cultivate this consciousness and this ability to immerse ourselves in the moment, right? And again, not be distracted. So for those of you in my class, we're going to go to the second reading in the Some Discourse for Your Consideration section of our anthology, of course, in the chapter on living in the moment. And we're looking at Pierre Hadot's The Present Alone is Our Happiness. So I'm going to read a little, a little bit here again about why living in the moment and working to cultivate this ability can be so powerful and helpful for us. So Hado says, quote, indeed, it should be specified that this concentration on the present implies a double liberation from the weight of the past and from the fear of the future. Right away, let's think about this. How does your past weigh you down? How does the future scare you? Good questions to think about in our meditation with ourselves, right? This does not mean that life becomes, in a sense, instantaneous without the present being related to what has been and what will be. But more precisely, this concentration on the present is a concentration on what we can really do. We can no longer change the past, nor can we act on what is not yet. The present is the only moment in which we can act. Consequently, concentration on the present is a requirement of action. I would maybe add that a little bit, that concentration, or let's say good concentration on the present, is a requirement for good action in the present. Right? Because you could be distracted and take action, and it just doesn't really work, right? Again, there are degrees to which we can be concentrated, of course. You could be totally concentrated or like half concentrated. But what he's asking for us to, to consider here, what I would say too, is practice being fully concentrated, right? So we can get the most out of the moment so we can give the best of ourselves, our abilities, best what we have to offer to the moment at hand, right? So it's a big idea. And again, the, those kind of meditation questions I threw in, I think are major for this chapter and getting the most out of it. The more specific we can be about our ailments, our pathologies, the bad parts of our relationships to the past and the future, the better we can address them and solve them, right? So, and again, to be clear, that solving only happens in the now, right? So we can examine ourselves with our memories, with our imaginations, but we have to keep in mind, as he's saying here, that to act in the moment, we should focus on the moment, right? So let me continue a little bit here. Other ideas I think might be good. Again, from Hado, the next paragraph down. I will cite only the small poem entitled The Rule of Life. It is explicit and responds in part to your question. Do you want to live a life without disturbance? Do not let the past worry you. Get angry as little as possible. Rejoice of the present. Rejoice without ceasing. Hate no one and abandon the future to God. Happiness is in the present moment for the simple reason that we live only in the present. On the one hand and on the other, that the past and the future are always the source of suffering. The past chagrins us either simply because it is past and escapes us or because it gives us the impression of imperfection. The future worries us because it is uncertain and unknown. But every present moment offers us the possibility of happiness. If we put ourselves in the stoic perspective, it gives us the opportunity to attend to our duties, to live according to reason. If we put ourselves in an Epicurean perspective, it affords the pleasure of existing at every instant. So I want to make something clear. This is my interpretation of this paragraph. And of course, keep in mind, this is simply a paragraph that I kind of 
extracted from the text. I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. But I do think it warrants qualification that sometimes the present is terrible. Right? Of course. So this paragraph doesn't necessarily say that, but we do have moments that are present moments that don't necessarily offer us happiness, nor should we try to have them make us happy, right? Sometimes we're suffering and that experience is meaningful as well, right? And we shouldn't ignore our suffering, especially when it's true and honest and a result of something that is rational, right? So obviously, I don't think this paragraph is telling us that each and every moment of life is a happy one, nor is it saying you have to make every moment of your life happy. So please don't misinterpret it that way, right? But what I do think this is offering us is perhaps a new perspective, right? One, a perspective on what the past has a tendency to do and what the future has a tendency to do, and also how living in the moment can lead us more effectively to leading happy, joyful, meaningful lives, right? So I think all that is true as a general perspective, right? So don't take this paragraph, please, and think that it's an absolute in um in the context of how it's characterizing the present moment, right? It's giving us options here on how to address the present though, which I think are good. Let's work from the bottom of the paragraph, right? So the Epicureans are saying, there's a pleasure in existing. That's a great idea, right? So for the Epicureans, general summary, right? They have three levels of pleasures. One is that pleasure, the pleasure, the pleasure of just merely existing. If you're alive, it is happening. It is necessary, right? It's just what it is. A lot of, as we said in class, right, yoga practices focus on breathing to help us relax, feel a sense of serenity, peace, pleasure, right? That's because breathing is necessary. It is both natural and necessary. That's level one. We should focus on those, right? Mm -hmm. Level two is stuff that is natural but not necessary, right? Then level three are things that are not natural or necessary, like fame, for example, right? Level one, again, we can even say food to an extent, right? Because obviously food can be excessive. Something we should enjoy. Water, something we should enjoy. Let's even keep it simple with food for a second and keep this going. Like excessive amounts of food that are you're eating just because they taste good, not to keep you alive at all, not because they're necessarily super healthy. Again, we need that sometimes, of course. Those are more two, maybe like three level pleasures, right? Um, but this idea of what is natural and what is necessary is sort of the metric for Epicurean pleasure in a very sort of summarized quick version, right? So again, something like fame or excessive wealth, not natural and not necessary. And when we pursue level three pleasures and we don't think about level one or level two, we're kind of going to lead ourselves into some problems probably, right? Similar to that, we have the idea here, and I'll return to the Stoics in a moment, of how the past and the future, thinking too much about these things and thinking about them in the wrong way can lead us into some suffering. And I can think about this for myself, right? If I think about the future negatively, it's negative, not great. If I think about the future positively for too long, I start wanting that future now. I let myself into some suffering, right? The past, we have to learn from it. We have to grow from it. As Hado says, right, in his past few readings, I just gave, I just gave us here, right? Um, we do think about the past. We do think about the future. They're necessarily connected to the present. They have to be, right? But this, for me, speaks to the power of focus, right? So if you're focusing too much on the future, it's a problem. And if you're focused too much on the past, as we have here, right, you're going to start seeing flaws. You're going to start overthinking things. So even by living in the moment, we're liberated, I think, from overthinking. Because if you're living in the moment, you're living. You're not thinking as much, right? So let's get back to the Stokes for a moment after that brief uh, Digression, right? Stoics, more about duty. 
So even if something, and this is what the Stoics, I think, among other things, specialize in, if something's unfortunate and horrible, right, you can look at it as an opportunity to fulfill a duty. And we've used this example a lot when we kind of grappled with mortality, right? You want to, for the Stoics, be useful to humans. It's hugely important for them. The people around you, you want to serve them. So in the case of a family member being sick or a family member passing away, for the Stoic, it's not don't feel upset, but it's strive instead to fulfill your duty, which is to be a loving, kind person who is able to provide good counsel, right? Who's able to remain at least some degree of calm such that we can see clearly what's in front of us and be, again, helpful if we can. So even the misfortunate things, the unpleasurable things, give us an opportunity for virtue, for happiness, for goodness, through the fulfillment of a duty. But this is also like you go to the meeting at work you don't want to go to, right? Or like people, you know, I have to do this thing. Well, no, you don't have to probably, right? You don't have to go. You think you have to go. And that's cool. But see that that's a good thing. You're saying to yourself, I'm creating a sense of obligation because there's some goodness here for me in this moment. Define the goodness. And again, maybe you don't feel ecstatic, but you can feel better about it if you see that you're making it meaningful. Right? Turn your have-tos into have-tos with explanations, and all of a sudden you, you're more in control of the situation. You don't feel like you're being controlled. Right? But instead you're crafting the meaning. So things to think about there with addressing the moment as a duty to be fulfilled. Right? So with these ideas, I think we get a blueprint of the why. For the Stoics, and again, Epicureans too, and a lot of ancient philosophers, philosophy, one of the major points, of course, was to rid our lives of as much suffering as we can, right? So if he's saying here, the past chagrins us because it's past and escapes us or because it gives us impressions of imperfection and the future worries us because it's uncertain and unknown, we don't want to live there too much, which again, doesn't mean abandon the notion of having a plan entirely. But these things, again, when we address them in these ways, we find imperfections. We try to rewrite our history. We try to relive the past. Can't do it. Right? And we, we talked a lot about mantras this semester too. This is where a good mantra comes in. Right? And on that note, I want to share from the meditations some interesting ideas, I think, or the meditation section of our book that get us thinking about that, right? These are a little bit, these are a little bit intense, but they're good, right? So the first question of our meditation section, how often do you think about the past and then describe the thoughts? And Seneca reminds us, whatever years be behind us are in death's hands, right? So you can't get it back. And I think that's, again, it's a little bit intense, but I think that intensity could be helpful for those of us who just live in the past too much, right? How do we figure that out? Well, there's an exercise in our exercises section where I ask that you put in percentages how much of your time you spend thinking about the past, the present, and the future. Locate that. And then see, again, am I learning from my past and growing from it, or am I torturing myself about it, trying to rewrite stuff? Right. Even the language we use in our minds to characterize or in our words to our speech and maybe what we write to the words we use to characterize ourselves in the past, others in the past can be very powerful. Right. We should always try to be honest. And I think we should try to be honest and good. So by that, I mean, honesty is important. Truth is very important. And so is goodness. If it's not good for you, it's not going to help you grow. It's not going to serve you. Maybe think about rewriting not what happened, but your perspective on what happened. This person lied to me. Everybody's a liar. Bad idea. Right? Rewrite it. 
this person lied to me. Sometimes people lie. Not everyone's a liar. I'm going to be truthful. Right? So avoid sort of condemning, damning, absolutist type thinking or generalized thinking about the past. You're going to carry that like a pain backpack. Bad analogy. Okay. But we want to make sure we're using language that is, again, both truthful and of service to our thriving, growing, and living, right? When we characterize our past. And also we could even examine too, how much of the, how much of your thinking about the past is positive, how much is negative, work through it. How much of it is honest, how much of it is dishonest. Things to consider, right? And then we also have another idea here, I think that's interesting about how and why the future might give us some pain here, right? What do you most frequently desire? Right, no matter what, if you desire the present, that's just gratitude, right? If you're someone who wants things constantly, you're projecting a lot of your happiness into the future. That's not a good thing, right? You're training yourself to never be satisfied. Again, and you're training your gaze to go away from what's in the now, what we can be grateful for in this moment. And then another idea on the future, and this won't be our final episode of this, of course, we have some more specifics here, but sticking with the meditations, right? What are you looking forward to? And again, I think we think about this in a positive way, usually looking forward to a good thing. Okay, great. Do that. Here's what Seneca says. You will suffer soon enough when it arrives. So look forward, meanwhile, to better things. So it's you know, our last point for this episode, because I'm kind of getting away from the present, but I do think the idea of the double liberation deserves some elaboration in this episode, right? Why live in the moment? It helps us feel less pain as a result of the future and the past, which is to say our thoughts of the future and the past. Why? Right? That's what I'm kind of explaining now to you. Why is the past painful at times? Why is the future painful at times? So all of that is imaginary, right? Your thought of the future, what you're looking forward to is largely a result of what's going on right now, or maybe even a result of the past, what happened two seconds ago or yesterday, right? So why not, as Seneca is saying, try to look forward to better things, look forward to things going better tomorrow. This also, I think, is a bit of an antidote for what at times, and I've messed this up a lot in my life post learning about the Stoics, what at times can be an excessive focus on the Stoic notion or idea of premeditating on evils, right? Marcus Aurelius, I'm paraphrasing, says, when I wake up in the morning, I think about, all right, I'm going to try to get myself ready. So I'm going to I'm going to meet somebody who's kind of rude or nosy. Uh, I'll use some modern things. So I might hit traffic when I'm going to work, right? Um, not everybody's perfect, so I have to be honest with the fact that I live in an imperfect world. All that's a good idea, right? And what Seneca is saying here is the necessary balance to that right? The Stoics don't want us to live in our minds torturing ourselves. They hate that idea. So if you premeditate on evils constantly, you will start seeing evils, right? Another great Seneca quote, not verbatim, but uh, somebody who basically makes their own fears, imaginary fears, will earn themselves real fear, right? Fear is a feeling. It doesn't have to be based on anything real at all. You could always make yourself afraid. You could always find a way to be afraid. You could tell yourself a story about tomorrow that's horrifying, right? We're gift and burdened with imaginations, right? So the idea that we should imagine these negative things, right? The Stoics would say something like, you know, death, suffering, poverty. Imagine them, 
with the intention of seeing ourselves coming through them positively, which is to say for them, our moral character will not be affected negatively. I'll still be a good person if I face some suffering today from an external that's out of my control. Right? So we have to be careful, and I, I share that quote with Seneca too, both Seneca quotes, because you want to generally be positive. And for the Stoics, you want to, again, be as free from stress and suffering as possible. They think a pathway to that is at times pre-meditation, right? Seeing potential problems, or with death, of course, seeing the inevitable problems, and not using them as excuses to be bad, but using them as excuses to pursue virtue, pursue our fulfillment of our duties, and through that, we become happy and joyful, right? So you are making an image of your future. You are making an image of your past. We live in the moment. We free ourselves from what can often be the suffering that comes from those things. And as we're seeing now at the end of this episode a little bit, we can work to create healthier narratives, more truthful, more helpful narratives of the past and the future. A lot of that is, I mean, that's, that's one of the huge powers about philosophy, right? We're thinking about our thoughts. So again, I think we could write about our past. We can write it. That might be a good practice. Okay, I'm going to work on that. So right now I'm going to just throw this out there, but I will, will likely do an episode on this, right? It might be a very interesting spiritual exercise to sit and write about certain things in your past, right? This may, this may not be something you want to do for, for example, for my student, for our class. This may be too personal. But to really sit and examine what aspects of your past are giving you problems, what aspect of your future or aspects of your future are giving you problems. Really see them and examine them and ask, which of these is rational, which is irrational? What aspects of this are not truthful? What aspects of this are no longer true to me now? Because I can see them in a different way. Where I could be more empathetic or sympathetic with these people who hurt me, such that I can have a better view of other people now. They were in pain too, or they were pressured too, or they didn't mean it that way. I took it personally. So these are all things we can do with this idea of past, present, and future. Right, because we're always telling stories. When we live in the present, we're not telling a story. And that's one of the reasons why it's so powerful. We're engaging in the moment. So again, try to live in the moment more. Why? Double liberation. Also, another reason why. That's the only time you can live. Right? It's the only time you can actually take the actions needed to be yourself and become the self you want to become. So I hope this was helpful. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.